Everybody connecting with us online, we're so glad you connected there with us today. Well, today is the final day of our sermon series, Love Reigns, Living in the Hope of Easter. We started on Easter Sunday, right? Celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which demonstrates to us that Jesus alone is worthy to be King of kings and Lord of lords. He conquered sin and death for us all. And so we can find our hope in him and in the resurrection. Uh, The next week, the second week, we talked about how uh, God's love reigns over our past. Don't we all need that? I mean, we've all got a past. We've all got failures. We've all got sin. We've all got shortcomings. And God's love is so great for us that what Jesus did for us on the cross atones for our past sins and and washes them away, removes them, as the scripture said, as far as the east is from the west. So we don't have to be burdened by the guilt of the sin of our past. Last week, we discovered that God's love reigns over our present. If we, if we surrender to Christ and follow him as his disciple, then, then we are under his love all the time in our present life. And in our present life, he gives us his word. He gives us the avenue of prayer. He gives us the guidance of the Holy Spirit to direct our decisions and our path so that we can, in the present life, experience God's love and God's plan and God's purpose for our lives. We can move forward with confidence. And that's where we come to this week. The final week, this week, I want to talk about allowing God's love to reign over our future. Our our future, because I think a lot of what we deal with in our lives on a day-to-day basis is concern over our future. I think we all struggle a little bit with that. I don't mean that we are all burdened by that, but we all think about it. How many of you as a kid had one of these. Magic eight ball. Yeah, right? Uh, I can remember these toys. I didn't have one. We were poor. Oh, we were so poor. We heard about these, though. I ran across somebody in our town that had one, and I thought they were pretty cool. I'm I'm kidding. We really had one. (laughs) But here's the thing. You remember the little magic triangle? You shake it up, and the thing would float to the top, and it would have a, a an answer to a question that you had, right? I just asked the magic eight ball, will the people today all stay awake and attentive during the sermon? And here's what came up. Don't bet on it. (laughs) I'm not kidding. That's what came up. These things are tricky, right? And so what you learn to do is just shake it up again till you get the answer you want, right? Till it finally comes up. Let's see what comes up next just to see. Uh, Chances aren't good. It's still bad, all right? (laughs) Never mind. These things don't work. So we had magic eight balls. We had uh, uh, Ouija boards, right? The evil Ouija boards. Uh, We've always had in our culture things like fortune tellers and palm readers, uh, horrible scopes. I'm sorry, horoscopes. All of those things, and it just tells us our human nature has a little bit of an obsession with the future, with concern over the future, with a desire to want to know that everything's going to be working out all right. Magic 8 Balls came out, I looked it up, in the year 1950, 
So this is not a new thing, right? This has been going on for a long, even way before that in our culture, people have been concerned about the future. You read the Old Testament, so many of the pagan kings and leaders wanted to have people who could tell them about the future and interpret their dreams and all of that. And the thing behind most of that is the word worry. We might want to say concern, right? Just a desire to have a knowledge, right? Make it sound better. But really, for most of us, what it boils down to is worry about the future. And worry can be all-consuming. I know people that every day of their lives, it is dominated by worrying about stuff. So what I want you to do right now at home, uh, Smarter Campus, you guys do this right here in the Antioch Campus too. Think about the one thing, and you don't have to say worry, but the one thing right now you might be most concerned about in the future. Just think, of, if you got something to write with, you can write it down, you can put a note in your phone, however you want to do it, or just get it in your head right now. The one thing that for you right now is an area of concern or worry for you when you're thinking about the future. And you might be sitting there thinking, I, I don't have anything. Well, give it some time, yeah. right? Things are going to happen. Things are going to come up that you didn't plan for, you didn't expect. It might cause some concern along the way. Uh, I've got things that I'm concerned about, especially as a pastor. I'm concerned about the direction of our culture and how some of the decisions being made uh, in our government are, are going to affect the church and Christian uh, institutions around the world and here in this country, how, how it could be even harder for us to be the witness that God wants us to be. I'm concerned about that. I'm not consumed by worry, but I do have a concern about that. And time to time, everybody can go a little further from a concern about it into that little valley of really getting worried about things. So today I want us to talk about three things we need to remember about worry because the only true way to cure this sickness of worry is to trust in the love of God and to allow God's love to reign in your life. That's the only cure for worry. And Jesus spoke to the struggle in Matthew chapter 6. If you want to turn there with me, Matthew chapter 6. It's a part of a, an amazing long sermon that Jesus preached and uh, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's over on the hillside there where Jesus was walking with his disciples and he stopped at this spot and a crowd gathered and he taught there for a while. And this is part of his teaching there on that hillside. And in verse 25, he begins this message about worry. And the first thing I want you to remember that Jesus talks about here when you're concerned or worried about something is this. Remember, God sees you. God sees you the God of the universe, the creator of everything, the one whose love you're supposed to trust, he sees you. Listen to his words, beginning with verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air, he says, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Wow, what a reminder. When Jesus tells us not to worry, he immediately points to an illustration that would be right around him while he's talking. While Jesus is talking, there would be birds almost assuredly around that area 
flying around. And he said, hey, look, you see those birds? God takes care of the birds. And then he wants to make the comparison. Birds are great. They're, they're wonderful. And God takes care of birds. But aren't you more valuable to God than even the birds are? If he takes care of the birds and you're more valuable than the birds, doesn't it make sense that you could trust his love to take care of you? This past week, we were out in Phoenix, Savannah and I were, and we went out for our granddaughter's graduation and celebrating her and her brother's high school graduation at the same time. And we, uh, during the time there, visited the Grand Canyon, but we also visited the Desert Botanical Garden there in Phoenix. I've never been there, but it's gorgeous. If you ever get out there, you should go there. It's one of the most amazing uh, botanical gardens I've ever seen. And, and there in the botanical gardens, there's a lot of cacti, all right? And naturally, that part of the country, the cactus are everywhere. And, and so they got all these different varieties of cacti there. And there's a, there was a educate, believe it or not, I likes to get educated. And, and so they had this, this place you could stop and read about this cactus that they had there. It had a sign up beside it with, with some information about the cactus. And it called it Hotel Cactus. And, and the illustration was about everything the cactus provides in the desert. Now, you have to understand in the desert, it's one of the few plants that really gets big and they, they can live a long time. They, they can, in some parts of the world, get over 70 feet tall. Most of them in America get up to about 40 feet tall at the, at the height uh, maximum. Uh, and they live, some of them, uh, over 100 years. They, they believe some of them have lived up to 300 years. Okay? So, so here they are out in the middle of this barren area, and you've got these cacti all around. And what purpose are they serving? Well, well, part of what they do, I love it, is they provide this, this help that the birds would need. See, the birds get water there. They get food there. They have shelter there, right there in the middle of the desert. Uh, they have uh, little arms that go out. Remember, we saw this there. A bunch of birds had made nests in those little crooks in the arms of the cactus. And, and not only that, but some birds, like woodpeckers that we have here, peck holes into the cactus, and they go inside it, and that's their home. And right inside their home, they've got water, and they've got food right there inside the cactus. Now, the God, the creator God of the universe, they provide for the blooms on the cactus. They bloom regularly. And, and the blooms, uh, we saw hummingbirds coming to the blooms, right? I love hummingbirds, and, and we saw a bunch of them there. And they had other little wildflowers that bloomed around it that, that the hummingbirds would come to as well. The creator God of the universe cared so much about birds that he put those cacti all over the world in those barren places where birds couldn't have any other source of food or shelter or water. And it's not just the birds. Other people like human beings, too, got water from cactus and still do. If they're stranded out in the desert, many have survived just by getting the water from the cactus. You see, God so intricately planned his creation that he made sure everything was going to be there that we were going to need. 
you can trust God's love for you. God sees you. He saw you before you were formed in your mother's womb. He already saw you. And he already planned in advance to make sure he could provide for you everything you're ever going to need. Not everything you're ever going to want, because he knows better than that. He's a better father than that, than to give us everything we want, because we don't know what's best for us a lot of the time. But God does. And he has planned to take care of you. If he takes care of the sparrows of this world, surely he could take care of us. And so Jesus is reminding us of our incredible worth to God. Nothing you do, nothing you say, nowhere can you go that he's not seeing you and knowing everything about you and wanting to take care of you the whole time. So here's what we have to do. We must allow ourselves to trade what we don't know about the future for what we do know about the love of God for us. That's the trade we've got to make. He's not going to reveal everything about the future to you. You couldn't handle it, and neither could I, if he just gave it all to us at one time. None of us could handle that. But we know his love is there for us. Sue Ann shared a quote with me many, many years ago that I really like. It says, don't be afraid of tomorrow. God is already there. Right? I love it. Don't be afraid of tomorrow. God is already there. And he sees you before you even get there. And he knows what you're walking into before you ever walk into it. And he's with you and he wants to take care of you. That's how much he loves us. It reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. Remember, we pray that line, give us for the rest of our lives our bread. Is that what we're supposed to pray? Give us today our what kind of bread? Daily bread. Just trust Him today. If He gives you another day, what are you going to do that day? Trust Him that day. He knows how many days you've got. He knows He's planned. He's seen it ahead of time. He's planned for it already. So trust Him. But here's a little caveat I want to throw in. Those bird nests and the cactus didn't get there magically just by God. What did the birds have to do? They had to build a nest. You see, God's called us to do certain things. He's called us to work hard. He's called us to provide, to do what we can to provide. He's called us to, in, to invest our time and our talents wisely. He's called us to do certain things, but he promises he sees us the whole time. And if we're struggling or needing something, he loves us enough. But he wants us to do what we're created to do, too, on our part. And not just sit back and expect to be taken care of without doing what God created us to do. He created birds to do certain things. He created humans to do certain things. Remember in the Garden of Eden from the very beginning, it said that he put the man in the garden to work it, care for it. You see, he already had work for the man to do from the beginning of creation. That's what we're supposed to be doing as created beings of God. And what did God do before he put us there? He worked. It says six days he worked, and then what did he do on the seventh day? Arrested. So God works. If we're created in his image, what should we be doing? We should be working too. But if we're working and still struggling and still having setbacks and problems, then God sees you. And God wants to provide for you and help you. And he does that in a lot of different ways. But we know we can trust him. 
I love one of the most quoted verses today is Jeremiah 29, 11, right? It's a promise that God gave uh, to his people in the Old Testament, but I believe the principle is repeated many times in Scripture. Here's what it says, beginning with verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And then he adds this, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we only like to quote the first part of that. We don't like to quote the rest of it because the rest of it says what you need to do to have this promise is to seek me with all your heart. Then you've got this promise that God does not want you to have harm. He doesn't want you to suffer. He wants to care for you, plan to prosper you, and not harm you. He wants you to have hope for the future. But you have that hope by seeking him first with all your heart. That's how you have that promise that you can claim. Well, there are, I think, three questions I want to give you that you can ask if you're thinking about your future, trying to plan and trust God for your future. Three questions you can ask to, to line up with seeking God and God's will for you, okay? So first question is this. If you're thinking about some opportunity or some challenge or something decision you've got to make, ask this question first. Will this decision I'm thinking about making line up with Scripture? That's the first question. Will it line up with Scripture? Because if you're thinking about doing anything, saying anything that does not line up with Scripture, you can know this for sure about God's will. That is never God's will for you. Ever. I don't care how good it looks. I don't care how good it might make you feel. I don't care how attractive it is. If it doesn't line up with God's Word, it is never going to be God's will for you. Ever. Best place to start on any decision you're going to make is does this line up with Scripture? Because here's what I know about God's will. It will never contradict God's Word. Ever. God's will never contradicts God's Word. So if you want to seek God's will, you seek it in Scripture. And remember last week we talked about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is in our lives. You fill your heart and your mind with Scripture and your, your thinking changes so that you, you then plan and make decisions based on what God's Word says about those things. So that's the first question. The second question is this. Will this decision make me more like Jesus or less like Jesus? Because here's what disciples are supposed to do to grow up to be like their teacher. That's what a disciple is supposed to do. So if you do this thing you're thinking about doing, will it be more like Jesus if you do it or less like Jesus if you do it? Because the goal is to grow into the image of Jesus, become more and more like him, that we get ourselves more and more out of the way and let Jesus become more and more what people see in us. First question, does it line up with Scripture? The second one, does it make me more like Jesus? The third question is this, will it bless others for me to do this? You see, it gets selfishness out of the way. It gets the me first attitude out of the way. If you put in that formula, if I do this, is that going to enable me to be more of a blessing to others if I do it? God wants the church, that's us, his people, to bless our communities where we live and work and play. He wants us to be a blessing. 
So if I make this choice, will it allow me to be more of a blessing or will it cause me to hurt other people in the process? I think if you put those three questions together and you run every decision you're making and struggling with through that filter, it will make us more like Jesus and making better decisions like Jesus made as he walked on the earth. So discover God's plan for your future is, is to do that is to live in that decision-making process where that becomes the filter we use. Mark Twain said this, I really like it. He, he said some, a lot of funny things, but he said the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. <laughs> right? We know why we were born, to bring glory to our creator. That's what you're born for. That's your purpose. Now you can fulfill that in a lot of different ways, but that is your purpose. That's my purpose. There's not an exception to the rule. It's your purpose too, to bring glory to your creator. So first, know that God sees you. Remember that, and it'll help you with your worry. The second thing is this, seek God first. Always remember to seek God first. Now that, those questions I asked, uh, told you that you should ask, uh, they, they lead you to do this, to seek God first, because you're going to scripture first. But what it's all about is priorities. What are the priorities of your life? It's, it's all about priorities being focused on the right things instead of the wrong things. Look at verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. But your heavenly father knows that you need them. Then he adds this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Okay, so he says, here's the starting point when you're worrying about something. Here, here's the baseline. Here, here's the, the point at which you look at everything else. Are you putting God's kingdom first? Is that the most important thing about your decision? Is that the thing that is most driving your decision is seeking the kingdom of God first? See, when you seek the kingdom of God first, it changes if you're looking for a relationship. It changes how you look for a relationship. You want it to be God honoring. You want it to advance the kingdom. If you're seeking a good job where you can make more money, uh, what's the motivation behind it? Are, are you putting the kingdom first right now as you seek that? Because that will make a big difference on how you pursue a job and what kind of job or career you do pursue. Will, will it bless the kingdom? Will it advance the work of the kingdom if you do that? Same thing is true with education. It's true with recreation. It's true with every aspect of your life. You seek the kingdom of God first. I love it because uh, several weeks back, uh, Tony Klinkenbeard, who's here at the Antioch campus today, uh, reminded me of something that I used as an illustration before, and I really liked it. Uh, we talked about top button issues, if you remember that. Uh, you may not have been around then, but that's what this is all about that Jesus is talking about is top button issues. Now, here's the, here's the illustration. When you go to button up a shirt, have you ever gotten the buttons out of line? 
right? And you miss one and you got, you know, a gap there and all that because, but, but here's how you keep that from happening. You start with which button? The top button. Here's the reason. If you get that button right, what happens to the others? They all line up right too. Well, for Christ followers, the top button is the kingdom of God. It is the top button issue. It is the thing that will line up everything else within the will of God for your life. It is the top button issue. Because if you get that one right, then the other things you have to think about and make decisions on line up well. Uh, Sue Ann uh, helps me a lot with, with ordering priorities uh, in our lives. And, and one of the things we did is she got me to sit down and write out in order what my priorities are for my life. I had, I had always thought I knew it, but I had never put it in writing until she said, no, let's actually write it down. Because the goal is, the exercise is, let's see if what we're doing lines up with what we say our priorities are. Let's see if we're using our time and our money and our energy in the ways that we say are the most important things to us. And so it might be different for you, but for all of us, the first thing should be, according to Jesus, what's the first thing? God, the kingdom of God, right? That's the top one. That should be the top priority. Now, if you're married like me, my marriage comes next. That's the next thing. Now, if you're not married, there might be just family or whatever. You put something there. That's the next most important thing in your life. For me, it's, it's God, and then it's my marriage, and then it's the rest of my family, right? Our kids, our grandkids, that comes next. And now, finally, I get to the next thing, and that's my job, my career. Now, my job and career kind of intermingles with the top one, right? Here's the thing, yours should too. Yours should too. You don't have to be a pastor for that to be the case. Your job, your career should also be in light of God is the top priority of your life. And that can be done with almost any job. As long as it's not immoral or unscriptural, you can have any career, any job, and still have God as the top priority in that job. Any job can be that if it's not against the will of God, against the word of God. Now, if you're retired, then okay, it's, it's the time that you're using. How are you using your time now? As a retired, it doesn't have to be career, right? It can be whatever activities you're doing now in retirement. By the way, I don't believe in retirement, but if you do, that's okay, all right? I, I, I believe in retiring from a one job, but, but never retiring, all right? You go to do something else. That's what I believe in. God doesn't want us just not doing anything and being selfish about how we use our time. So, so God, marriage, family, career, whatever order you want to put it in, whatever things you want to stick into those slots, those are your priorities. And so then you look at, all right, with the decisions I'm making right now, does it reflect what I say my priorities are? Is it lining up well with what I say my priorities really are? Because you may say, well, my marriage is top priority or my family is under God. It's the next priority is my family. But, but, but you got this job opportunity that will take you away from your family. Uh, it, it will cause your family, to, uh, your husband or your wife to have to, to, to uh, have some negative consequences because of it or whatever. Or your children won't ever see you. Well, what's really your priority then? Is it the money you're going to make at that job or is it the family? Which one is it really when you make the decision about that job? You see how you have to line those things up? 
It's easy to make a list that looks good to God. It's not so easy to live it out in real life the way it needs to be. So remember God sees you. And then remember, don't forget that you need to seek God first. And the last one is this. Remember to use your time wisely. Use your time wisely. You may have caught verse 27 when I read it before. It says, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Now, I know some translations have a footnote that asks, can you add a single cubic to your height? Okay. Uh, I think the real good translation is an hour to your life. But if you want to go with a cubic to your height, it's okay with me. Uh, I don't know why that one doesn't ring with me at all. Uh, what he's saying is your time is limited and worry won't change that in a positive way. In fact, studies show that worrying about things does what to the time you have? It shortens it. It causes all kinds of health problems. If you let yourself get consumed by worry all the time, it shortens your life to worry about those things, to be consumed by worry over those things. And then he says in verse 34, let's look there. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> your worry's not going to make it better or worse. Well, maybe worse, but never better. Right? Maybe worse, but never better that you worried about it. I love what the psalmist had to say about this in Psalm 90 and verse 12. A great reminder for us all. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us, Lord, to number our days, to realize we have a limited number of days on this earth. Now, when he says number our days, he's not saying teach us exactly how many days we have. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, teach us to know that there's only a certain number of days we're going to have. That's what he's saying. So let's make the best use of the days that God gives us. Let's not waste any of them. Let's, let's use them wisely. Let's have a heart of wisdom toward the time that we have. There was a survey done several years back that, that measured how people will spend time in their lives. And, and here's what they averaged out. This is average. It can vary a lot from person to person. But on average, American people will spend six months sitting at stoplights out of their lives. Six months of your life will be sitting at a stoplight. So can you redeem that time a little bit? Boy, I do. I pray at stoplights. Change that light. I'm in a hurry, right? I pray a lot at stoplights. I should have gone through. It was only yellow. You know, those things I pray. <laughs> Two years we spend looking for misplaced objects. Some of you, that's low for you. Really unorganized. You're looking for things all the time, right? But on average, two years. Four years of our lives will be spent doing housework. There are a lot of exceptions to that one. A lot of people just quit doing housework. But if you do housework, you could spend about four years of your life doing it. We will spend, on average, five years of our lives waiting in line. Can you redeem that time? Absolutely. But you're going to spend five years of your life in line, on average. We spend six years eating. Again, that's low for some people. I'm not calling any names, okay? Six years eating. Here's the one that's really gone up. 
We will spend, they said, on average, eight years of our lives responding to phone calls, texts, and emails. Eight years of our lives responding in communication like that. Texting has really gone up. It's probably going to be higher just for texting now, responding to text. You see, there's only so much time. We have to decide what's most important. Ephesians, Paul said this in Ephesians 5, beginning with verse 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Friends, time on this earth is very limited. So while we're here, let's learn to walk in and live in the hope of Easter. Let's let God's love reign in our lives because when you know how much God loves you, it changes how you live, how you use the time, how you make the most of every day. And it takes away, it doesn't mean you're never going to worry, but when worry creeps in, it means I know where to go with it. I go to a God who loves me, who died on the cross for me, who conquered sin and death for me, who promises never to leave me or forsake me, who has gone ahead of me before I ever get there and provided everything I'm going to need when I do arrive there. He is the God who can take away the worry and give us back the joy and the peace of living in the hope of Easter every day of our lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can come to you, a God who has proven your wisdom, your ability, your power, your strength, but most of all, your love for us. Father, help us to know we can trust you with our lives completely. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.